morning. On that day, we'll raise a mighty roar. And this is just kind of like a precursor to that, kind of our smaller roar. We're going to be with a lot more people in that day. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for this time of the service. We thank you for the time that we were able to fellowship and then worship together. And now as we look into your word, please help us to gain a good understanding of it so that we can walk with you in a closer way, in a more honorable way each day, and then know more about you because you are so great. We, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you know, um, many times when the subject of heaven comes up, maybe in a Sunday school class or a small group, you know, someone will refer to a verse in the Bible and say, well, we can't really know anything about heaven because the Bible says we can't know. And they're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. And it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And so people will often think, well, that's just a direct reference to heaven, our eternal life after this earth. <clears throat> and so no use studying about it because it says we can't know anything about it. But then, you know, verse 10 says, These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now, that passage really isn't talking about heaven directly. It's talking about having God's wisdom over against man's wisdom. And then we can understand the things of God because of the Spirit of God. But, you know, heaven could probably be included in that. But definitely it isn't saying that we can't know anything about heaven. <clears throat> but now, uh, we have reached chapter 21 in the book of Revelation. And that certainly does talk about heaven. And we're going to get a running start this morning by quickly reading through the verses that we looked at last week, the first eight verses in chapter 21, and that will lead us right into the passage we're going to look at. So now as I read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 21, I'd like you to answer this question in your mind, and I think everybody will get it right. When you go to a wedding, what is the main part of the wedding that everyone is waiting for? You know the part when all the music stops, the music before the wedding, and it gets real quiet, and everybody starts kind of like just getting ready for the big event. And isn't it when the bride comes walking down the aisle, often with her father, and then everyone stands up in honor of the bride, and it's this beautiful bride, you know, in her wedding dress coming down, to offer herself to her husband. So now let's read verses 1 through 8 of Revelation chapter 21 as we go into our passage. The Apostle John, as he's being shown these visions of the future, he says, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now we said that the sea stands for all the corruption and the, the abyss and everything that's evil, where the beast came out of and everything. But in the new earth, no, no longer any of that evil. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. <clears throat> he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can bank on these words. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's eternal life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. <clears throat> but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery, the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now last week we read that God cast everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone whose name was not found written in the book of life into the lake of burning sulfur or the lake of fire. <clears throat> and the Bible tells us that the way we get our names written into the book of life, because that's what we want, right? We all want to be, have our names written in the book of life. It's when we turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior. We come to him seeking forgiveness for our sins. We come to him in repentance of the wrong that we've done. We admit that we are sinners. We have no chance of earning heaven on our own, on our own goodness or our own works, which is really opposite of what the world kind of runs by. They, they try to think of, well, am I good enough to get to heaven? The answer is no. And we have to turn to Christ because he paid for those sins on the cross as he gave his life. And we accept that death on the cross as our payment for our sins. And that's grace through faith. We deserve the lake of fire because we were sinners. But Jesus took our sins upon himself. He is the sinless lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And through faith in him and his promises, we are saved from eternal damnation and wrath. And that's how you become, have your name written in the book of life. Now we're going to get a close-up look at the holy city. 
You know, John already described it coming down as a beautifully dressed bride, ready to be given to her husband. The new Jerusalem, the holy city, came down from heaven to the new earth. This is after all of the judgment, the great white throne judgment in the time for eternal. And so with, when let, uh, looking at verses 9 through 14, we'll look into this. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. <clears throat> it had a great high wall within, with 12 gates, and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. Every direction there were three gates. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. <clears throat> the Apostle John is being shown this beautiful city descending to the earth, the new earth, from heaven. And it says that it shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, clear as crystal. Now we know from the Bible that the church is the bride of Christ. He purchased the church, all believers who make up the church, he purchased her with his shed blood. So the church is his bride. It says that in the Bible. But here, it's talking about his bride, the Lamb's bride, the holy city, Jerusalem, descending upon the new earth. So what we have here is we have Jesus Christ taking his bride, the church, to their new home. The beautiful home prepared for his bride. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's all a part of the marriage ceremony. And they're both called his bride. And in this city, you have this high wall with 12 angels, and well, 12 gates, and each gate has an angel. <clears throat> now, usually in the Bible, if you would see angels at the gates, that would be protection from enemies, for protection from intruders. But at this point, all enemies have been, you know, vanquished. All enemies were done away with. No more threats. So here's this magnificent, glorious city and has this ambience or surrounding atmosphere of complete safety. Not that anybody's going to attack it, but you just have these high walls and these angels on the gates. Three gates going in each direction to enter or, and, and, and to leave the holy city. They could be, that, that's symbolic of them being, can enter from every direction on the face of the earth because people will be coming into the holy city regularly. 
The nations will be coming to present their gifts to the Lord and to honor him and to worship him. And they'll be coming in from all over the world to this holy city. And the gates have the, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Each gate has a name of a tribe of Israel. And the foundations of the walls have the names of the 12 apostles. And what that signifies is that all who enter the holy city have to come through the people of God. All who enter have to come as people of God through the people of God because now people come to Christ through our witness and even through the work of the 12 tribes throughout the Old Testament time. And the city is gloriously magnificent and beautiful and regal. It's just an amazing place that will continually take our breath away. Now, <clears throat> we're going to see that it's also overwhelmingly huge. So look with me at verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That comes out to like 1,400 to 1,500 miles. <clears throat> and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. That comes out to be about 200 feet thick. Now, this city, it's, it, it's measured as if it's like a cube shape, and it's 14 to 1,500 miles on every side and high. 144 cubits, 200 feet thick. I mean, this is an enormous humongous, amazing city. So many Bible scholars think that the measurements that were given to John were really meant to give a strong message. They may not be actual to the, to the foot or whatever, but being that they were so huge, it gives you the, the picture that this is going to be a massive, massive city even if it doesn't go to exactly what it says. And the measuring, when he tells him to measure, or when he sees the angel measure, you measure, you know, when you take over a land, they measure it out and claim it for their own. And this is God measuring the city, claiming it for his own, and he will be guarding this city. This will be his city and his people. And they will always live, the people will always live in safety and in his presence. Now I have a thought of how it could be possibly literal measurements, this, this you know, 1,400 to 1,500 miles long. You know, that's like from here to Los Angeles, here to New York, here to parts of Florida, and that's just one city. Now. The reason, you know, one reason it sounds so ridiculous is because 
we're sitting here in America and we see it takes up half of our country or something like that. <clears throat> and, but I'm thinking, you know, that could be just used for emphasis to show how big it is and how protective God is of us and how much we're going to receive. But on the other hand, you know, God is going to reshape the earth and the universe. It's all going to be, you know, it says burned off with fire. <clears throat> we don't know if he'll make a whole new earth or if he'll just redo the surface. But who knows what it's going to be like after he redoes it? Who knows if it's going to have America just like we are now? And that's what we're thinking, 1,400 miles. Who knows if all the countries are going to be where they are now? I mean, they probably won't be. So I think in that sense, it could be that if God redesigns the whole thing, this could be a literal city of 1,500 miles. But we'll see, right? But now I want you to look at the beauty and richness and future of the holy city in 18 through 21. <clears throat> Just imagine all, all that goes into this city and the walls and such. It says, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. I mean, just, just the foundation. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. <laughs> the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Can you imagine, I mean, can you even picture a city like this? I mean, its magnificence, its value, it's, it's going to be an enormous city, even if the measurements aren't exact. And then this enormous, gigantic city with its beautiful, dazzling jewels and the stones making up the foundations. And, you know, I think another reason for the, the huge size of the city is that <clears throat> all God's people, I think, you know, one message is, all of God's people throughout the whole history of humankind, there'll be plenty of room. You know, whether people live there or whether they visit there or people are, you know, nations are coming in, it's going to be, it's going to be big enough. The gates in and out of the city, into and out of the city, large gates with angels, one at each gate. And I'm thinking... You know, you're going into the city, and just to see an angel would be something. But to see these gigantic gates and these entryways, and then these angels atop the gates. I'm thinking, you know, if we make trips there, maybe annual trips, pilgrimages, whatever, whatever it comes to, 
I'm thinking we'll never get over it. And then it says, beyond all that, it says it's filled with the glory of God. So, you know, you walk into the city and you step through the gate. Or maybe the glory's, you know, seeping out before you get there. But you step in there and there's this him and it says there's just this glory of God that, that pervades the city. And all the time you're there, we're enveloped by it. Because we are in the presence of the eternal God. Right in the presence of someone who is eternal. Now that actually leads us to our last verses, 22 through 27. And this is really interesting. I did not see a temple in the city. Wow. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No need of a temple. You know, the temple was everything throughout the Old Testament. The temple was the the palace of God. And you didn't do anything wrong in the temple, and the Jews were so... You know, worried about the temple. And whenever anything, any statement was made about the temple, they would try to, you know, accuse people and accuse Jesus of, you know, not reverencing the temple. And, and, and as, as important as all that is, there's no need for it because we have the presence of God and Jesus Christ replacing the temple. Who needs a temple when the Father and the Son are there in person? And they're going to make their home there because they went to be, they went, they want to be with us. You know, I have imagined in my mind that we will be able to visit the city and look upon the Father and the Son, and we will just be drawn to worship. And I have imagined that that experience when we get to go visit the holy city may be sort of like recharging our spiritual batteries. And that visiting the holy city will be the highlight of our lives each time we go. And we can't wait to make the next trip. And maybe we mark our calendars by, this is the next time we go to the holy city. And the city does not need the light of the sun or moon Some people think there will be no sun or moon on the new earth, but that's not what it's saying. It just says the city doesn't need the light of the sun or moon because of the glory of God and the Lamb as its lamp. And the nations are going to pay homage by bringing their treasures to the holy city. 
and it will be an act of worship, and they'll be laying the treasures before the king. And I imagine, you know, with different cultures and different nations, some people <clears throat> have thought maybe that everybody will be one. No, we'll be all kinds of nations with all kinds of different uh, treasures to bring, you know, whether it's food or things that we make with our hands or, you know, just some amazing things that we're able to do and bring it before the king and lay our treasures before the king. And it says the gates will never shut day or night and the nations will walk by the light of the uh, holy city. Bringing to the holy city the results of our skills that God has gifted us with. <clears throat> and then in verse 27, it tells there will be no evil there. No one shameful or deceitful will be entered in, will be allowed in. It will be a place of true beauty and honor and good. And only for those whose names are written in the book of life. And you know, here is really what it's all about. A verse we saw earlier. <clears throat> verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the end result of the whole thing, of, of all of our time on the earth. God desired to be with people. And those who have trusted themselves to him, we will spend eternity with him. And he's brought his home down to be right with us. And so this is the end of the plan. This is the, this is the, the victory of the whole game. Right here, living with God, looking upon the face of God and upon Jesus Christ. And everything was meant to bring this to reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation and how it gives us so much insight, even though there's so much more that we don't know. And so, Lord, we thank you for guiding us in this way. We thank you for giving these visions to the Apostle John and for preserving this, as so many times people have tried to destroy the Bible and get rid of it. You have kept it. You've preserved it for us. And now, Lord, may we even meditate upon this, this, this wonderful ending that you have planned, ending of this earth and renewing it. And Lord, we thank you for your glory, your grace, and your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.